0: This is a Willets Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willets Point Shea Stadium. Oh yes it is, the Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera, here with you, talking about all the news and happening surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets, episode 95 from the Subway to Shea studio in my office. Mets have had a pretty active week since I last spoke to you, and where to begin Let's start off with the recent signing of Tommy Pham. One year, $6 million deal. And right off the bat, I knew this signing was going to get panned by the fan base, especially following the letdown of Carlos Correa. And that part right there is on Steve Cohen, right? For how that situation was handled. But the Tommy Pham signing isn't that bad given the situation. The Mets needed a fourth outfielder. They needed a guy off the bench, kind of like Kevin Pillar was in 2021. And now Kevin Pillar's with the Braves. But I've talked about this before. The Mets needed a fourth outfielder. Just as important as the starting lineup is for the New York Mets, the bench is equally as important. Those guys are going to need days off. We've talked about it. Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor. They're going to need days off, especially in the outfield. You got Brandon Nimmo, who, you know, we know his injury history. Hopefully those days are past him, but we know about it, right? We know that Starling Marte had trouble staying on the field. And you can count out the part where he got hit in the hand in September. He had a hard time, you know, keeping himself healthy. When he was healthy, he was a great player. But there were times where he needed a couple days off, dealing with a quad injury. And then you have Mark Canna, who... Gives me the vibes of a platoon player. And don't get me wrong, I like Mark I think he's a great guy. I think he's a very good player. But I get that vibe of a platoon player from him. So the Mets needed another outfielder. They needed an outfielder to obviously fill in for these guys when they're tired or when they're hurt. And they had no depth in the outfield. Unless you just count Khalil Lee. And Mets been there, done that. I don't know if they're going to go back to that. Their top prospect, their top outfield prospect, Alex Ramirez, is not ready yet. Obviously, you can throw Brett Beatty out there in the outfield. He has some outfield experience. But you need a guy who's going to man center field and can play the other positions. And that's what Tommy Pham brings to the team. I know everyone wanted Adam Duvall. I know everyone wanted Andrew McCutcheon. Some even mentioned Jerickson Profar. All of those players that I just mentioned, those three guys, all wanted to be starting outfielders. In their minds, they were all starters. At least they still believe so. And guess what? They got starter jobs elsewhere. I don't think Jerickson Profar signed yet, but Andrew McCutcheon went back to the Pirates and Adam Duvall will start in Boston. The Mets weren't going to do that. They didn't need that. And they did offer... More money to Andrew McCutcheon, but he wanted to start. Money's not always going to win these players over. For the most part, it will. But not all the time. So with McCutcheon and Duvall wanting to start and getting starting jobs elsewhere, the Mets needed to find someone who was going to come off the bench and be that spark plug. And it's possible it could be Tommy Pham. And would you want to bench... Any of our outfielders, you definitely weren't going to bench Brandon Nimmo after signing that big deal. And I wouldn't want to. Marte's not going to get benched. The only guy I could think of is Marcana, who would probably warrant a platoon. And those guys weren't going to platoon. They wanted ample starting time. Tommy Pham in 2022 batted 234, six home runs, 24 RBIs in 53 games. He's a career 259 hitter, 114 home runs, 363 RBIs. Now, I said this on Twitter. He's literally replacing Tyler Naquin on the bench. Can he provide more productivity across a full season than Tyler Naquin did? If so, this is a good deal. If he is anything like what Kevin Pillar was from the bench mob in 2021, then this is a good deal. Now, you look at how the rest of this bench shapes up. We're going to have Luis Giorme playing across all positions in the infield. He's that utility guy, right? You can play second, short, third. I'm pretty sure if you threw a first base glove on him, he can play that as well. You got Tomas Nito and Omar Navare's platooning at catcher. And I know everyone's saying, what about Francisco Alvarez? I think he's going to start in AAA. I honestly do. Unless he has a spring training like Pete Alonso did, where it, you, it's to a point where the Mets will not be able to send him to AAA. But if he doesn't, he's going to AAA to get seasoning. And one great thing about Omar Navarez that was said in the po- in his press conference when he uh, they made the signing official, and that was the first thing that he mentioned coming to the team was that he wanted to get to work with Francisco Alvarez. And I think that's important. Especially how Navarez learned to get better at catcher. That will be huge for Francisco Alvarez. I honestly think that this tandem of Nito and Navarez is going to be way better than what we got from McCann. Go look up the stats. Go on BaseballReference.com or MLB.com and look up Omar Navarrez's stats. He had two bad seasons. One in 2020, the shortened season, and last season when he was injured. Besides that, he hit, I don't think he hit under 266, was it? You could double-check that. I would have loved for James McCann. I think I might have said Brian McCann earlier, and I get him confused. But James McCann, if he could have hit at least 220, I would have been excited. I begged for it. I prayed for it. Omar Navarro is hitting 260-something. That's a good deal right there. He's got a little bit of pop, too. Going with Tomas Nido, who has had some clutch hits in his time with the Mets. We'll get into him a little bit later on in the show. Rounding out the bench, obviously, you got Daniel Vogelback, back, who's going to be the primary left-handed DH. He doesn't really play a position. We'll see how that goes. If he can kind of get into form, stop taking a lot of walks, and use that power all season long. You know, they're moving in right field to put in another another club. So the right field fences are moving in. He's got to take advantage of that. You got Tommy Pham. He's the only outfielder that's gonna kind of be that utility outfielder, playing across all fields. He could DH as well, and probably Darren Ruff. We're gonna get into Darren Ruff in a few seconds. It is a possibility that they can carry Beatty or Escobar as another bench piece, a piece, or uh, you know DH with this team we have right now. Let's say they don't make any other moves with this team right now. You want to get to a point in the season where Eduardo Escobar is a threat at DH and off the bench. It means Brett Beatty has taken over third base, and that's what we want to see. I feel like only positive things can happen if we could get to a point where Eduardo Escobar is playing some time at third base and is playing a lot of time at DH, helping them out there. Now with Darren Ruff, I know a lot of people don't want Darren Ruff to be on the team. Well, I wrote an article for Rising Apple this week, and you can click the link in the, sub, uh, the uh, description of this week's podcast, of this episode, and you can go right to that article talking about Tommy Pham and Darren Ruff being carried on this roster come opening day, and it's quite possible. Think of this. And this is if the Mets make no moves mo- moving forward, okay? The Mets really don't have... A backup first baseman. And Darren Ruff has played the most time at first base in his career. They might just need him out of necessity. Forget about the hitting for a moment. You have Pete Alonzo. Look at the situation, right? Look at the situation. You have Pete Alonzo going to the WBC, like most of the roster. They're going to the WBC. And the Mets are going to need someone to be playing first base. So this is the perfect time for Darren Ruff to get himself back on track. And if he can do that, he's going to be on the opening day roster. If not, I'm sure that they will let him go or trade him or whatever. The Mets are not just going to hold on to him if he's doing terrible. Look at what they did to um, Robinson Cano. He had a terrible first month, and by May, he was gone. They didn't care about the money. He was gone. So the same could happen to Darren Ruff. He's not safe, but he will have the opportunity to earn his spot on the opening day roster. So a lot of thoughts going around with the addition of Tommy Fan. A lot of parts could possibly be moving, and we could possibly see what this bench looks like heading into opening day. I just don't want everyone thinking, that some huge move is going to be made and they're just going to drop Rough. I know it's what the most ideal situation that everyone wants to happen. But we got to be a little bit realistic. And I just think that there is a possibility that Rough, obviously Fam will be on it, but there is a possibility that Ruff makes this opening day roster. With so much news happening with this New York Mets team this week, got to get into... The Mets announcing the inductees to their 2023 class into the Hall of Fame on Saturday, June 3rd, which I will be in attendance for, and it's against the Toronto Blue Jays, but I'm pretty sure before the game they will have the ceremony like they did with the old-timers day, like they did with Keith Hernandez. But the Mets announced that they will be inducting into the Mets Hall of Fame class of 2023, Howard Johnson, Al Leiter, Gary Cohen, and Howie Rose. Jay Horowitz will be honored with a Hall of Fame Achievement Award. So this is going to be an awesome, awesome day. Let's get right into Howard Johnson. He got traded to the Mets in 1984 from the Tigers in exchange for Walter Terrell. And you talk about his career with the New York Mets. Nine years he played for the New York Mets, and he had 192 home runs, 629 RBIs, 202 stolen bases, a 251 batting average, 341 on base percentage, slugging 459, and an 801 OPS. Two-time All-Star in 1989, 1991. He hit 30-30 three times. Once in 1987, where he went 36 home runs, 32 stolen bases. 1989, 36 home runs, 41 stolen bases. and 1991, 38 home runs and 30 stolen bases. And in 1991, he led the league. With 38 home runs and 117 RBIs, finished fifth in the MVP voting. He is the ninth member of the 1986 World Champions to join the Mets Hall of Fame alongside Mookie Wilson, Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, Doc Good and Darryl Strawberry, Ron Darling, Davey Johnson, and Frank Cashin. Now, I didn't see the 1986 Mets play. I was born a month after. And by the time I started watching baseball, Howard Johnson was already gone from the team. But what a career he did have with the Mets. A deserved honor. I talked about it in a podcast last season with my friend from Mets Legends, Rob Pearsall. And we talked about Howard Johnson making the Hall of Fame, being one of the next members to make the Hall of Fame and another guy that we talked about. And now, this is a guy that I grew up watching Al Leiter. Al Leiter had quite the career himself. He got traded to the Mets in 1998 from the Marlins. A lot of names went by there, but one of the big names that got traded to the Marlins in that deal was uh, AJ Burnett, a little rookie of uh, AJ Burnett. I think he was in the minors still at that time. And, you know, he came up to the Marlins, pitched very well with them. Went to the Yankees, won a World Series with the New York Yankees. Was he on the 20? Got to see if he was on the 2003 Marlins and won a World Series with them. I am not too sure, but we're going to check this out and make sure if he was on that team. No, he was on the 2009 World Champions. He played with Florida. Interesting, he did play with Florida in 2003, but does he not get a World Championship for that? He played with Florida through 2005. So I don't know why baseball reference doesn't have him as a world champion, even though he only pitched in how many games? He only pitched in four games. So I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what the situation with that. But he was definitely a part of the 2009 uh, world champion Yankees. But uh, let's go back to the real reason why we're talking about but Al Leiter. I grew up watching Al Leiter. He was my ace. He was always the ace of my staffs. You look back at what he did with the Mets in his career, and deservedly so should be a Hall of Famer in the Mets Hall of Fame. Seven years, ninety-five wins. He went ninety-five and sixty-seven with three point four two ERA and struck out one thousand one hundred and six batters in his time as a New York Met. Now I started watching baseball in nineteen ninety-eight. That's when he had probably his best year as a Met. Finished sixth in the Cy Young, going 17 and six with a 2.47 ERA. He did go to the All Star game in 2000, was 16 and eight with a 3.20 ERA. It was always back and forth for Al. 17 and six, 98, 99, 13 and 12, 2000, 16 and eight, 2001, 11 and 11, 2002, 13 and 13, 2003, 15 and nine, and 2004, 10 and eight. couple things. To think about with Al Leiter, his postseason play, man. He's pitched in some big games throughout his entire career. And that 99 game where he had that complete game shutout, they don't consider it a postseason game, but for me it was definitely. And I know for a lot of Mets fans it felt like one. It was the wild card game where the Mets shut out the Cincinnati Reds and Al Leiter pitched a complete game shutout. That was quite the game. He also pitched very well in Game 3 of the National League Championship Series against the Atlanta Braves. In that game, I think he only gave up one run, and it was on a throwing error from Mike Piazza in the first inning. Gave up that one run, didn't give up any runs, but the Mets had a hard time scoring against the Atlanta Braves. And then he came back in Game 6, and I don't think he made it out of the first inning, the first the first or second inning, he really struggled in Game 6, and the Mets came back and tied up the game, took the lead, but they just couldn't finish it all. The whole Kenny Rogers game, 2000, he pitched a really good game in the NLDS against the San Francisco Giants. He pitched a great game against the St. Louis Cardinals, and he had two really good games in the World Series, but he never won. He never won a game with the Mets in the postseason. He was 0-2, which is crazy to think about. But he always pitched his heart out. He kind of reminded me of Tug McGraw with the, you know, the mannerisms on the mound. Always energetic. Towards most of the career, pitched a lot of innings, but he would throw a lot of pitches. Like, I think in the World Series, He had to have thrown over 150 pitches in Game 5. But congratulations to Al Leiter, the ace of my childhood. Great to see him get into the Hall of Fame. Well-deserved. And another couple of well-deserved honors, The Voices of our lifetime, Howie Rose and Gary Cohen, both radio and television, they have done. And I was always impressed with the radio work and how they are able to tell a story and give us listeners the opportunity to visualize the game. You know, we could watch it on TV and see everything happen, but a lot harder to do that on radio and how we were given the descriptions and everything to visualize what was going on in these games. Gotta give... Both of them a lot of credit for that. As we know, Gary, for most of his career, worked with Bob Murphy in the radio booth. Howie Rose, I remember a lot, with Fran Healy. And then once Murph transitioned to retiring, Gary and Howie worked together. Well, I think it was Ted Robinson and Fran Healy were doing baseball for a couple of years. And then once 2006 happened, SNY came. Gary went to TV. Howie stayed in radio. And there are just so many memories, so many great calls during their time, whether on TV or radio. A lot for Gary Cohen, for me, was listening to him on radio, especially during that 99 season, the 99 playoffs, whether it was the Edgardo Alfonso Grand Slam, you have the also Grand Slam single, you got the Andy Chavez catch in 2006. For Howie Rose, you got the Piazza home run after 9-11. The Santana no-hitter. The NL Pennant in 2015. Both are so good at what they do that I needed to hear the other's call always right after. Once I would listen on TV, or once I would watch on TV, I would go to the radio and listen, and vice versa. Even, let me know if you guys did this, but when I was a kid, I would used to have my little tape recorder, and record the radio games on cassette tapes. I don't know if anyone else did that or if it was just me, but that was a good time in listening back to the games. But these two have been such a staple in this Mets organization before my time as well. And the fact that they are both Mets fans, they both grew up as Mets fans, and they're getting to do what they love for a living. I mean, when you have a job that you love, it's not really working. And for those two... It's such a great honor to now have them in the Hall of Fame, and they, for me, are kind of two people that I really look up to in my journey in podcasting and radio production. That's two guys that I would aspire to be someday in the future. So congratulations to Gary Cohen, to Howie Rose, for also being inducted into the Hall of Fame this season. It's going to be awesome. You got Jay Horowitz also. He's the VP of Alumni Relations and was the PR Director for so long. You know, God bless Jay Horowitz and all he had to deal with during his tenure as PR Director with the Will Ponds and just all the stuff that he had to probably, you know, uh, extinguish the fires that had happened and some of the crazy stuff that happened during his tenure with the Mets and, and and some of the crazy things, whether it was, you know, the Vince Coleman issue, Tony Bernazard, all these things that he had to go through. And I'm pretty sure he had a lot of great moments, including the uh, all the playoff runs. And, you know, everyone says nothing but good things about Jay Horowitz. So um, hopefully I'm able to get a couple of these guys on the podcast sometime in the near future. Love to have Jay on. Definitely, you know, love to have Howie and Carrie and Al and Howard Johnson. And I've, you know, talked to Howard Johnson on Twitter a few times. So hopefully we can get these guys on at some point. Now, before this train leaves the station, Baseball America's Top 100 Prospects was released. Francisco Alvarez in at number nine, Kodai Sanga at 16. You had Brett Beatty at 33, Kevin Parada at 50, Alex Ramirez at 92, and Jet Williams, shortstop, at 98. MLB Pipelines list has not come out yet. That comes out on Thursday, January 26th, and I'm looking forward to seeing where the Mets place there. And you got them in the top five, right? Francisco uh, In the Mets' top five. Let's start off with that, right? Francisco Alvarez, one. Brett Beatty, two. Parada, three. Ramirez, four. Jet Williams, five. But this list that the pipeline has of the top 100 prospects is a little bit different than Baseball Americas. They have Alvarez at number one, Beatty at 18, Parada at 37, Ramirez at 85, and that's it for the top 100. So which list do you follow and feels more accurate? I, I gotta know this because I have not really been big on you know following prospects and that's why I always have to have someone with more experience someone in the know and who follows them on to kind of give their thoughts on it because it's really hard for me to follow along with these guys especially when they don't a lot of them don't come to the major leagues so I'll you know follow around with the big moments when they have a draft or one of these players comes up but besides that it's it's I am not the expert to be talking about the prospects. So we'll get some guys on in the future to talk more about that, especially when the draft comes around. Final note, Tomas Nido signed a two-year deal avoiding arbitration. I told you we are going to talk about Tomas Nido. Avoids arbitration signing a two-year deal. And let's look at Tomas Nido and his stats with the Mets. Three home runs in 2022, 239 batting average, and 28 RBIs. His career with the Mets, 13 home runs, 73 RBIs, and a .220 batting average. His last two seasons, actually his last three seasons, well, he only played seven games in 2020, so we're not going to count that, but he had some clutch hits in 2021 and 2022. But Tomas, I really feel, gets exposed at the plate if he's playing too much time. So I really feel this Omar Navarez tandem is really going to help him because we all know that Tomas had to take a lot of, of the playing time with James McCann being absolutely ineffective. So at least here, considering what we know about Omar Navarez, if they can split time, I really think it would better Tomas Nito moving forward. And who knows, maybe if Francisco Alvarez comes up and is ready, maybe one of these guys gets traded at some point. But glad to see Tomas on the team getting his due. The man is a leader. He handles the staff well, and like I said, he's had a few clutch hits, so congrats to Tomas Nito on his deal. And that's going to wrap up the Subway to Shea podcast. You can follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Subway to Shea. Listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podcasts. Turn on your notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome, 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 and thanks for joining us. And I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms I mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. If you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is without you, and because of you, Subway to Shea is Global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also has reaches across the globe. So no matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week and going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully it's five stars, and leaving me a review in the comments section helps me to know how to make this show better each and every week. And you can also read the show on Spotify. If you listen on Spotify, you can do it there as well. Don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the Fan and Network. And you can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Like I mentioned earlier on in the show, I did an article on how Tommy Pham and Darren Ruff could both Be on the opening day roster give that a read that link will be in the description of this week's episode make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the Fansided Network at Fansided thank you everyone for tuning in I appreciate you all so very much and that will do it for this week's podcast don't forget listen, subscribe, share, and review for Anthony Rivera you've been listening to Subway to Shea always remember let's go Mets